Wait, okay, you can't not do a cold open. People are gonna turn this off. I know it's a silent film. God damn it, we gotta have a cold open. Today we're talking about The Lodgers, starring Marie Alt, Arthur Chesney, June Tripp, Malcolm Keane, and Ivor Novello, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I am Ryan, one of your hosts here on the Cinema Talk podcast. Uh, I am Brendan, one of your hosts on the Cinema Talk podcast. And I am Matthew. I'm Logan. And uh, today we are back <laughs> after, uh, you know, some DC and uh, it fun. We're going to jump back in time, 93 years to 1927. This movie is and so And we're going to review our first uh, silent film. This is a film directed by Alfred Hitchcock and is the start of our Hitchcock Through the Decades series. Uh, so, yeah, do you guys just want to talk about real quick your background with this film, Alfred Hitchcock? Uh, any silent era films? Have you, have you guys seen any silent era films before? Is this your first? You guys want to go into that a little bit? I uh, I have seen A Trip to the Moon, silent classic, film. A classic, and uh, also that one where there's the train that's coming right at you. <laughs> the, the train the f- comes into the station. Yep. Yep, that one. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I have seen uh, some some other silent films and stuff like that in the past. Uh, not in recent memory, although the artist was was a couple years ago. Um, Pretty... Not old, but yes, a silent not, film. Not old, but it is a silent film. Uh, however, I don't. I, I mean, we watched Vertigo for the podcast. That's that's Hitchcock. Take, made 30 years at, Oh, yeah, Hitchcock. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not a silent film. No, not a silent film, but it is Hitchcock. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have any exposure to this before you suggested it to to The Lodger. So that's that's my background with it. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I, I've only seen a couple silent films, uh, Trip to the Moon, <laughs> Train Station Thing, a Buster Keaton movie, and a, and a Charlie Chaplin movie, but I, I hadn't seen any Hitchcock silent film movies, but I have seen a lot of other Hitchcock movies. I love his movies. If you listen to our podcast on Vertigo, you know Vertigo is one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely adore that movie, but I certainly never ventured this far back, uh, in his filmography uh to i, I believe this is his, his third film so we're going way back so yeah this was definitely uh, new for me as well uh yeah i have i think this might actually have been my first uh silent film ever I was, it, was, it took my uh, silent film v card as it were um <laughs> and yeah also uh, this is my second hitchcock film the first one being vertigo but go back and listen to that episode um so yeah very little experience in the area um I'm excited to take a deeper look at Hitchcock though through these next uh, next few podcasts. But yeah, like you said, like this was 93 years ago. That's kind of hard for me mm-hmm. to believe. Like for perspective, like the the cop guy. I, I don't know if they. I don't know if he's named Joe. But, oh, Joe. Joe, uh, the actor who plays Joe, is two years older than Adolf Hitler, which wow blows my mind. <laughs> Because, like, already in this, like, already in 2020, where, like, that was so long ago, that was unbelievably long ago, like, these people are ancient. It's (laughs) so weird to me that these, like, these people, all these actors were born in the 1800s. Oh, yeah. Like, that's Mm -hmm. weird. Anyway. Uh, June Tripp was born in 1901, but close enough. My mistake. But, yeah, close enough. Anyway, it's pretty weird. I, yeah. That's all I'll say. (laughs) No, yeah, I am... Very familiar with Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I just finished watching one of his films because doing this series made me want to start catching up on some films of his that I haven't seen. So according to Letterboxd, he is the film 
maker that I've seen the most films from at 15, which isn't a lot, but, um, but no, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Hitchcock. I took a class on him freshman year of college in film studies. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very aware of his films. I'm very aware of his style. Uh, this movie was actually the first movie that I watched in that class, which is why I suggested it for the 1920s. It is also the most well-known of his 1920s films. Um, yeah, and my, my background with silent films, you know, in, in film school, you have to watch, you know, different, different films from this time period. I've, I've seen some Soviet montage films. I've seen A Trip to the Moon, obviously Train Goes Into the Station. I've seen Wings, which was the first, uh, winner of best, the first best picture winner. I watched that as a part of a little thing that I'm doing just for fun, watching all the best picture nominees. So I've seen, I, I, I've interacted with a decent amount of short, of a silent film, not a lot, not anywhere. I've probably seen like 10 to 15, which is not as many as I would like or will in the future see. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I have a, I have a small background. I, I would say I have more background with silent films than, than most people, uh, these days. But, but no, yeah, Hitchcock, he's my favorite, he's my go-to favorite director, he's the, you know, since our last Vertigo podcast, I was just starting that class, if you go back and listen to that, I will, I had mentioned that class that I was starting it, and then I had actually just watched this film, because I went back and listened to our Vertigo podcast a couple days ago, um, yeah, since then, he's become my favorite director, probably, my go-to favorite director, I love his stuff, very excited to be able to do this series, uh, next week is a, uh, is a film that I have not seen of his, which I'm very excited, The 39 Steps, so I'm very excited to, to start that, so, uh, yeah, um, anything else you guys want to say before I go into the plot summary, we can talk about, uh, the film that took Logan's Silent Era V-Card? <laughs> well, let's get into it. <laughs> All right. I really hated uh, that. <laughs> You were the one that said it first, so I'm just taking your joke. I did, yeah. All right, so uh, this is via Wikipedia, if you guys want to follow along on Wikipedia for any reason. A young blonde woman, her golden hair illuminated, screams. She is the seventh victim of the serial killer known as The Avenger, who targets young blonde women on Tuesday evenings. That evening, Daisy Bunting, played by June Tripp, a blonde model, is at a fashion show when she and the other showgirls hear the news. The blonde girls are horrified, hiding their hair with dark wigs or hats. Daisy laughs at their fears and returns home to her parents, Mr. and Mrs. Bunting, Arthur Chesney, and Marie Alt. And her police man sweetheart, uh, sweetheart, Joe, played by Malcolm Keene, they have been reading about crime in the newspaper. A uh, handsome young man, played by Ivor Novello, who was a very big star back then and starred in Hitchcock's next film, Downhill, bearing a strong resemblance to the description of the murderer, arrives at the house and asks about the room for rent. Mrs. Bunting shows him the room, which is decorated with portraits of beautiful young blonde women. The man is rather secretive, which puzzles Mrs. Bunting. However, he willingly pays her a month's rent in advance and asks only for a little to eat. Mrs. Bunting is surprised to see that the lodger is turning all the portraits around to face the wall. He politely requests that they be removed. Daisy comes in to remove the portraits, and an attraction begins, begins to form between Daisy and the lodger. The women return downstairs, where they hear the lodger's heavy footsteps as he paces the floor. The relationship between Daisy and the reclusive lodger gradually becomes serious, and Joe, newly assigned to the Avenger case, begins to resent this. The following Tuesday, Mrs. Bunting is awoken late at night by the lodger leaving the house. She attempts to search, search his room, but a small cabinet is locked tight. In the morning, another blonde girl is found dead just around the corner. The police believe that the murder murders are moving toward the Bunting's neighborhood. Mrs. Bunting tells her husband that she believes the lodger is the Avenger, and the two try to prevent Daisy from spending time with him. The next Tuesday night, Daisy and the lodger sneak away for a late-night date. Joe tracks them down and confronts them. Daisy breaks up with Joe. Joe begins to piece together the events of the previous weeks and convinces himself that the lodger is indeed the murdering Avenger. 
With a warrant in hand, the two fellow officers in tow, Joe returns to search the lodger's room. They find a leather bag containing a gun, a map plotting the location of the Avenger murders, newspaper clippings about the attacks, and a photograph of a beautiful young blonde woman. Joe recognizes this woman as the first Avenger's victim. The lodger is arrested despite Daisy's protests, but he manages to run off into the night. Daisy goes out and finds him, handcuffed, coatless, and shivering. He explains that the woman in the photograph was his sister, a beautiful debutante murdered by the Avenger at a dance she had attended. He had vowed to see, uh, he had vowed to his dying mother that he would bring the killer to justice. Daisy takes the lodger to a pub and gives him brandy to warm him, hiding the handcuffs with his coat. The locals, suspicious of the pair, pursue them, gathering in numbers until they are uh, they are a veritable lynch mob. Veritable? I don't know. Uh, the lodger is surrounded and beaten, while Daisy and Joe, who have just heard the news from headquarters that the real Avenger has been caught, try in vain to defend him. When all is seemed lost, a paperboy interrupts with the news that the real Avenger has been arrested. The mob releases the lodger, who falls into Daisy's waiting arms. Sometime later, the lodger is shown to have fully recovered from his injuries, and he and Daisy are happily living together as a couple, and that is Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger. Wow. So, uh, let's get started here, uh, as we do on any Cinema Talk podcast episode. If you guys are new, we run down the plot, we go through scene by scene, so uh, this is a full full in-depth spoiler breakdown, as you heard from that plot, uh, plot summary there. So, right away in this film, we get the first, uh, first real taste of Hitchcock's um, obsession with a lot of different... Um, camera techniques and also his obsession with death and sex and i think that this is going to be something that's going to come up a lot in these episodes uh specifically psycho later when we get to that which we're going to be reviewing psycho i'm very excited about um but i want to hear from you guys what did you guys think about this opening sequence was it visually grabbing to you was it surprising that something this dynamic would be in, in a silent film how do you guys feel about this opening sequence with tonight golden curls yeah i think that like immediately i kind of made the connection to the jack the ripper cases um mm-hmm. as soon as i was like ah young woman in london being being murdered uh in this sort of this time period no definitely not this time period however um but like the idea like remaining the same so i kind of like along the whole like sex and death thing was definitely something that like stood out to me early on because like i mean if if he is i obviously don't know as much about hitchcock as you do but if he is as obsessed with sex and death as you say he is then the jack the ripper cases are uh are a great foundation for for any kind of movie of that sort but i think in this uh this opening scene uh to open with a murder kind of a classic way to open like a a thriller or like a movie with the serial killer uh, I thought it was mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, but what was... has to be what has to be said real quick about a classic way to open a film like this? This is one of the you know yeah one of the big ones that started that trend. So. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. When you're looking at the, the plot now, it can almost kind of uh, feel simple. But then if you, yeah, like you're saying, contextualize it, you're like, wow, this is one of the one of the first ones. Um, but no, I love this. I love this opening shot. I thought. Um, this really sets the tone for the entire movie, visually. I mean, I thought this entire movie was really beautiful to look at, um, which I found, like, actually pretty surprising. I didn't think it would look this good, you know, for a movie from 1927. I thought he was doing really cool stuff with the camera, just like this very close-up of the woman with the light everywhere, and I love that Tonight Golden Curls, which 
um, was featured throughout the movie. I thought this was very, very interesting. And I mean, that's a hard thing to do, you know, to make a silent film that still stands up today, like that, that I, that I could watch today and still have, uh, you know, a very fun and enjoyable time watching, uh, big props to you, Alfred. Well, Matt, I'm glad you had a fun and enjoyable time watching it. This film, even though it's only an hour and a half, felt like a lifetime to me. I had to watch it over three nights. Um, oh my god. I'll, like, I'm kind of giving that away now. I did not enjoy this movie. And I'm really, really hoping that throughout the course of this podcast, uh, some of the people who are a little bit more well-versed in in film and maybe more appreciative of Hitchcock's early stuff, more appreciative of silent film in general can help me to appreciate this movie. Um, I did not appreciate it at all and uh, did not enjoy it. I wouldn't say in really any way. Um, That being said, like opening sequence is, you know, okay. Um, A question I have right off the bat is the murder is called the Avenger. (laughs) Do we know what, what is he avenging? Uh, we don't know. Okay. That's never explained in the film. Okay. So yes. we don't know if it's like a vengeance thing. Because we can assume that it is from the name, but... Yeah, I, I don't know what, what's up with this killer. I, I, obviously, we already talked about the plot summary. It's not the Lodger. Um, right. So I, we, don't, we don't get to know really anything about the actual killer. And the killer is more of a device, really, to, to place these characters in. I think, and it also is mainly to do with uh, with Hitchcock ra- ratcheting up the suspense. Um, but I think he's just n- not interested in what actually is the killer. The killer is doing, which I think sense. is interesting. If you are not into this movie, because we don't really get into the mind of the killer, uh, I think which will change down the line when we talk about other Hitchcock films. Okay, that's good. Um, another thing I think we should talk about right off the bat with the the different versions on YouTube and and the different mm. scores and and the Criterion Collection version which which uh matt watched so once you said your piece on this opening scene i think we should do a little discussion about that because that's pretty important to me no yeah i just uh this this opening sequence is is one of my favorites of hitchcock's in terms of opening sequences i love um going into some research about uh how they shot this opening scene i love the shot of um the murdered girl the way hitchcock actually laid her down put a sheet of glass behind her head and flur out her hair and shot lights up behind it um, to get this amazing shot. Like all these different techniques that he did with glass in this film um, to get, to achieve the shots that he did. Uh, Like, like you said, Logan, uh, this, this sequence might, you know, this whole film might feel really bland to a lot of people, um, which I understand if, if you're coming from it with a 2020 sensibility, not in terms of vision, in terms of the year. Um, but hey. if you're coming, you know, if you're, if you're coming from it with that I do not have 2020 vision. I have a very, I, very strong contact prescription. And I absolutely do not. My prescription is in the negatives. Um, yeah, but so, yeah. So, uh, if you're coming from it with, from that perspective, you know, watching birds of prey to this, it's going to be a very stark difference. Um, but the innovation of the time to be able to achieve these, this kind of pacing in a silent era film is very rare. Very rare. This kind of uh, ratcheting up of tension immediately is very rare. And um, no, yeah, I think the what he does with the camera in this opening scene is really, really inventive. I love the shot of the uh, the taxi or the the 
the cab pulling away with all the um, newspapers in the back has the two eye things that make it look like two eyes. Everything a lot in this movie is making everyone feel like they're being watched or watching something. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that that sets up that aesthetic. Um, so that's my thoughts. I really I love this opening sequence. I think it's fantastic. Um, but no, yeah, Logan, to talk about the different versions of this film, if you look it up, it is on YouTube. I don't know if that's legal or not. I don't know if this is in public domain. I haven't found something definitive one way or another because it says that there was a copyright worldwide, but it also says that it's heavily bootlegged and it's not enforced. So I don't really know um, what the status is, but there is no score from the time. There was no score ever recovered for the film. Hmm. Um, So that kind of left people to do what they will with the score there was a recording um, with the Deutsche Filmarester Babelsberg broadcast, um, which was a uh, 100th anniversary of Hitchcock's birth. They did this score. Um, and I believe that's the score that's on the Criterion version. But there, there's no set score. And if you watch certain versions on YouTube, there's really weird songs mixed in that you should just mute the film while those it's very songs strange. are being played. Yeah, this... This might have been a reason why I just had a really, really hard time watching this movie. But, um, yeah, the the version that I watched, I did watch a version on YouTube. I hope that's legal. I don't know. Like, most most movies aren't on YouTube. So, like, the fact that it yeah. is, I feel like it's probably okay. Um, the reason that I think it's okay is because it's been up for, like, two years and, and has, like, 100,000 views. Like, I feel like someone yeah. would have, if someone wanted it down, it would have been taken down by now. That makes sense. But, yeah. This, like, when the singing came in, like, it's not just, it's not just, like, anachronistic. It's bad. By and any... it doesn't fit with the film at all. No, not at all. And it, like, it totally ruined, like, any mood. And they play it in, like, in, an, in a sequence towards the end, which is, like, I feel like could be, like, really emotional. And it just mm. totally uh, dispels any, any yep. kind of tension like that. Um, Hence, anytime you hear lyrics... Just mute it. Yeah. yeah. Just mute it and you'll have a better experience. Um, During the beginning of this film, I was actually decently enjoying the score. um, Like, until it got to the singing. And then, even later on, like, the score in the version that I watched, it was was just getting very, very repetitive. And, like, Mm -hmm. it was just the same stuff over and over again. So, I feel like that's probably a big reason why I didn't enjoy the movie that much. Um, If you have a version that you think is... Uh, would be would help me appreciate the movie more and doesn't have a terrible score like the one on YouTube that I watched, uh, please email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at twistedmugmedia. I would love to... Well, there to... is one, Logan. It's on Criterion. Okay. Well, I'm not going <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, if someone has something better. Also, did it. you say a virgin? If you have a virgin... That is exactly what I heard as well. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe it's the FaceTime. Call. I didn't hear Virgin. But, um, you know, it's maybe but no, it was a FaceTime call. Logan, that makes sense. I mean, it's a silent movie, so if the music itself sucks, I mean, the, the movie is just like inevitably going to be True. terrible for you. Yeah. So understandable. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm no, sure. I get it. Like, I would kind of like to watch this again, a, a different version. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is that's. That wasn't the only reason why I didn't like it, but... Imagine it if it had words. Ones. But yeah, no, I think that the score, definitely for a silent film, more than any other film, can really color 
color you're viewing of the picture because it is the only sound that you get. Um, but no, yeah, I, I, I love this opening. I love um, the way that it sets up the plot very quickly. And we get very quickly introduced to Daisy, who is a very classic protagonist um, from a film in this area. You know, she all the actors in this film, I want to point out, are wearing very elaborate makeup and very, very much... At this point, it's still very yeah. much imitating theater uh, because we're in only a few locations. The camera doesn't move all that much. Although although Hitchcock does do clever things with the camera, he, he still doesn't have the ability to move it that much just because it's a camera in the 20s That's and fair. it doesn't move easily. Um, but yeah, I think a, a big point of this film is that it, it does imitate theater in a lot of way. Yeah, the dude who plays... Uh, what is his name? Joe? Is that what we said? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, her... her... Her, like, the guy who likes her in the beginning, the cop. The weirdo. Dude, that guy looked weird. Not just the, the yeah, makeup on the face, but the teeth. His teeth. He looked like oh, the Joker. Oh, that first this... shot, I was like, oh, he's yeah, the killer, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy is terrifying. Like, yes. Yeah. I, he yeah. Looks, he's way scarier than, than, than uh, <laughs> even the lodger who we're supposed a, to believe a murderer. Is, uh, the Avenger at first, which. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, Joe is freaky looking. I think that he looks like, because you know how, um, you know how the, like, the original Joker from the Batman comics is based off of, like, a silent uh, film character? That's what he looks like to me. And he, like, even Mm -hmm. smiles in the same way, and I'm like, ah, it's creepy. Yeah, what is that? The the si- the silent yeah, the man who guy, laughs, right? Who... It's from uh, the Doctor of Cabinet, is it? the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Is it? His name is Cesar Cesari from the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. I oh, believe. is it that one? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think Which it's is a all... great film, great silent yeah. era film. You should check I'm out. Sure. I thought it was something else. Maybe I'm wrong. Is it something else? That's it, what it, I've it, always it, heard. I think it's also something else. It's like the the uh, the guy with that killer. Yeah, it's it's, it's the, the yeah, man who laughs, isn't it's it? Like a really creepy. Yeah, it's it's the man who laughs. Yes, the man who laughs. Yes. Oh. I was told in film school that you're wrong. It's this Sorry. fella. They lied to me. I'm sure it's probably influenced by Caligari as well. But yeah. yeah. Um. But no, Joe is terrifying. Absolutely. Um. But I think although the makeup is weird on him, the makeup really works on the lodger. Um, mm-hmm. Because when we first see him, I think that is a stunning shot. <laughs> oh yeah, with the uh, with the fog behind him in the doorway, with the thing covering yeah. his face. Like, yeah, I was really surprised, shot. really surprised by like how good this movie looked. Um, and I guess that also depends on the quality of what version you're watching. But mine was like in a pretty good quality, and it. I mean, just I thought the shots were really cool looking, really well done. Yeah. See, I just took issue with this op- this first shot that we get at the lodger. Of how heavy-handed it is. Like, hey, look, this guy. Like, you're supposed to think that this guy is the killer. Here, look at him. This is what you're supposed to think. Do you get it? Do you get it yet? He's wearing the scarf over his mouth. Please, do you get it? And, like, oh, my God. It's so heavy-handed for the entire movie. Mm -hmm. To the point where, like, the twist is not a twist. I would have been more shocked if he would have actually been the killer than, Mm -hmm. like, him not being the killer. Like, it's... The whole thing, it seemed to, it seemed to not be subtle at all in a movie where, like, in a silent film, I would kind of expect, like, a certain level of subtlety, and there was just... Oh, no, the opposite. There was just... No subtlety in silent films. Yeah, there was absolutely none of that. So, I mean, maybe this is just my gripe with the genre of silent film, if there's, if there's gonna be no, uh, subtlety in any of them, but yeah, I mean... Goodness, I, I just couldn't I just couldn't stand it. Like it was just so over the top. 
Mm. Again, I get that. It, it is definitely the time period that you're rubbing up against. It, this is how films were at the time. A lot of films. Again, I don't. I can't. You can't generalize the entire silent era as being this way. But um, a lot of films at the time, because there was no spoken dialogue it, it was harder to be subtle and everything has to be communicated with visuals True, visually yeah. so um so there there is a thing where it's like oh if someone looks away for a second and misses one shot they could completely not understand i mean the film, it's so they really have to essentially mime yeah, and it's like yeah. is a lot of what they're doing is just like yeah. mime work it, it actually kind of threw me off more when like people would like talk and then they would put like the little cards up but like i don't know i guess i guess you had to do that no, yeah, it's cards. It's, cards were there just to give you the basic dialogue yeah. that you need to understand the plot. Yeah, it's it's very theatrical from the visually, but even to like people's reactions to things. It's like, you know, the mom will get scared and faints, and they need, and that's like how it usually is in old movies. And it's like it, it is definitely something that you have to like before you watch a movie this old. You're like, okay, there's gonna be some stuff that like is outdated and is not mm-hmm. going to really work. So I I, I understand that, Logan. Yeah. But, I mean, there's also... Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. There's a ton of fainting Mm -hmm. in this movie. There's so Mm -hmm. much fainting. And it's... That's the stuff that always, like, just gets on my nerves so much. Because it's like, oh, the woman experiences, like, one thing that frightens her a bit. And now she's destabilized. And, like, oh, she's, like, falling across the floor. Someone help her. It's it's so annoying and painful to watch. I know. (laughs) Yeah. But, like... So, I guess, even though this is... My complaints are common for for the time based on what i'm hearing it still is a film made in this era made in this uh era of film so like i guess i'm not gonna like you know just erase those complaints because those are all the films because like it's just if you're taking this film i don't like those parts of it if that's sure yeah Yeah. that again yeah i get what you're saying but again i think that it's (laughs) i i I, I understand what you're saying, but I also kind of, part of me is just like, I oh, don't know, don't hold that against the film, you know? Look for the stuff that, that is really inventive, especially in this film. This film, if you would watch another film from this time period, you could see how inventive, specifically the camera work is in this film. Yeah, but, like, I don't think it's unfair to say that, like, over time, film has gotten better. And, like... Sure, yeah, no. I think I, I get, to a certain extent, uh, like, contextualizing it in uh, the time period and, like... It was, it was better than a lot of stuff back then, but, like, in the scope of everything that we've been uh, reviewing overall, it's not, just, like, not up to par, you know? I would say, I would say there's a, there's a lot of films from the 20s and the teens that are fantastic films. And this is one of them. I, I really love this film. But I think, collectively, most people agree the first, like, great decade of film was the 30s. Hmm. So, getting there, but not quite there yet. Um... We'll be there next week. Um, but no, yeah, to, to get back to the plot a little, you know, we get introduced to the Buntings, the, the parents who are very kindly folks. You know, Mrs. Mrs. Bunting seems to be, you know, just kind of like a and b type, uh, type manager. She manages the room upstairs. Mr. Bunting is a server. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we get this nice little quaint family. Joe's still a freaking yes, creep. Um, but I, really, I, I like the family a lot, and I think that they are characters that, Really, especially the mom, especially Mrs. Bunting, really, I feel like gets a, um, gets gets a lot of screen time and a lot of character in this film, and I really appreciate her character throughout this. Yeah, I mean, I, like, other than, I think they just, 
I mean, it's like what we were talking about. She faints all the time, and I mean, the cool part with her is, you know, when she like is like hearing the person, the lodger out sneaking out at nighttime from her bed. But other than that, like, I mean, she was just, uh, for me, uh, like how they usually portrayed women in movies back then, which was like the very, you know, emotionally fragile, uncontrollable. Is how they portrayed them. Yeah, fragile person. Yes. She's a sure, typical yeah, ingenue. Yeah, and again, I don't want to hold too much of that against the film because no, yeah, yeah, it's ninety three years old. But yeah, I, I I do see again modern sensibility. It is a little there. There are things that you have to do, like you said, Matt. Just accept when you're going into a film that's almost a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah, but but no, yeah. I I think the I think this is a really cool uh, premise. I, I like all the different characters in it. I like how we are just from the beginning. You know, this is. It feels very theatrical. It feels like a play. It's like, okay, we have this one setting. It is the inn or the lodge. You know, this is where it's going to be. These are the set of characters. And that doesn't really change throughout the rest of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But despite that, I think the pace and I think the tension is all still there. I think it's... It, I, I thought it was very a very suspenseful movie. Um, very much so. Which I was, I was surprised to see it hold up as a story that much. And I think the reason for this is because Ivor Novello is so great in this film. I think that he plays this mysterious young lodger really well. He's he's both very intimidating in some ways and very just very naturally charming in some ways too. He he, he plays both sides very well, and you could see why Mrs. Bunting would think he's the killer and why Daisy would fall in love with him, which I think is really hard, mm-hmm. especially for a silent performance. Yeah, I. So I guess we, I guess we can talk about this now. Um, so like I, I was doing like a bit of research for the movie, and I know that uh, on the first draft of the script, Hitchcock really wanted it to be ambiguous at the end as to whether or yes. not the lodger was the killer, because this is based off of a novel, um, mm-hmm. and then based off of like a comical play as well. And in the play, apparently, he just the, the killer turns out to be some eccentric philanthropist. So he wanted to go the ambiguous route, but because the cast. Uh, whatever the actor's name is, who was a very popular uh, star at that time, they couldn't make him some nefarious killer, so they had to change it. Yep. And I think you really see that change hurting the film, um, especially once okay. we get to the ending. But like, uh, maybe it has to do with what perspective we're seeing this in. But like in the scenes where the lodger is grabbing the poker and all these scenes that you know these incidents that seem to be very incriminating, it's like oh, like he is without a doubt like the killer. He wants to kill the girl. I, I don't know. I was just I left very confused by the twist at the end, which we can talk about more. But I yeah. don't know. Yeah, no, I was also confused. What is he doing when he picks up the poker? Mm-hmm. Yes, that scene. Yeah, it, it, it felt that's, yeah. that's a scene that I I'm not sure exactly because it does just cut to him using the poker to poke the fire. But it does it does give that shot of lingering of him just like kind of holding it and looking at it, which is I think only there to make us more suspicious of him. Right, and again, like there's like not this ambiguity really. Like it it seemed pretty clear to me when watching it. Like he's pretty much like pointing it at her and like he's looking right at her, like very creepy way. And that's I think like my issue is not just that it wants to lead us in the direction of him being the killer with this very like heavy handed like imagery um, and stuff like with him. You know, he he shows up at the door at exactly the right time with the with the scarf over his mouth. I've mentioned my gripes with that already, but like shots like this, and I'm pretty sure there were other things like this that I don't really remember as much. But I'm glad you brought up the moment with the poker, but because things like this, there's just 
it doesn't seem to really be leaving any ambiguity, and then they just, like, totally pull it in the opposite direction in the end, towards from where they were leading the whole time, and they don't even pull it in a really satisfying direction. They're not even like, well, this guy it was, was the Joe killer. the whole like, time. He like... wasn't the killer, you know? It's, it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's well, just, yeah. It felt, in some ways, like... It felt like in some ways they were trying to be really obvious, and then I don't know. It, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a satisfying. I don't know. I'm. I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say about this. I just know that I. I don't like what it does to the mystery. Matt, can you can you help me put into words what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I. I felt like because uh, Hitchcock definitely like opposed the revisions of the script. He wanted to keep it. You know, maybe he is the killer. Um, and it felt like kind of like Hitchcock made the movie that he wanted to make for the majority of this movie. Um, but then at the end with the twist completely flipping it, I was like, Whoa, okay. And then it just, it felt like it was just tied up with a bow that just did not work for me and left all these scenes, like the poker scene, just feeling like, okay, Mm. why was that there though? And I get like, you know, maybe that shot of him, him holding the poker menacingly could just be there to create suspense. But then that does feel kind of cheap. It's like, okay, this thing that, you know, it wasn't menacing at all. We just insert the shot in here as like a trick for the audience. I don't know. Yeah, it it doesn't. The ending in relation to the rest of the film doesn't work for me. Yeah, I get I get that. It's it it, it is kind of a bait and switch type thing. I, I do agree with you. Probably I didn't thought it, think of it that way, but yeah, the the majority the first hour of this film is probably exactly what Hitchcock wanted, and then he changed it. And that's the thing where it's like. Even then, because of this film being what Hitchcock wanted for a while, they actually shelved this film for a little while because the producers and the studio was not happy with it. Um, and it almost <laughs> killed Hitchcock's career. Kind of crazy that eventually this film critic comes in. This is all off the Wikipedia page. It's just small background detail. Like This critic come in and was like saw all the visual flares that we've been talking about and was like, oh no, this guy's got potential. We need to get this film out there so that he can keep having a career. And he did, and we have the rest of the series to talk about, and possibly one of the greatest film directors of all time because of uh, Donald Spotto. But yeah. and um, not Donald Spotto, Ivor Montague. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think when when you have like mystery movies, you can it they very easily for me fall into one of two traps, and one is that the ending is super obvious from the beginning, and the other is that uh, they take it in a twist ending that completely doesn't make sense and wasn't set up at all before and to me like this just kind of seemed like that they like like you said matt like these moves are really cheap and like they're just to make you go in the wrong direction basically and yeah i kind of felt like it really just is a bait and switch i mean that's the the fast and loose of it that like you know it's it's really just a bait and switch when 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 push comes to shove they're taking like all of these things i i I do think it's interesting though because i'm sure this is one of the first like movies of its time um where it's like oh like yes there was like a tie-in to the murderer himself but like it's not the way that you like necessarily thought it was, but like, there's no, like the people that you meet in the movie, like none of them were actually the killer. Um, which I actually, I, I, I can respect that. It's, it's kind of an interesting, like, I don't know, like turnaround of, of that sort of thing. And I'm sure that it, it was revolutionary to some extent for its time. 
sure. Like, Hitchcock was, and this is his first thriller, at least his first big thriller. I don't know what his first two films are, to be honest. This is a thriller? Um, this is, te- yeah, this is a this thriller. This is supposed to be absolutely thrilling? Thriller. Thriller. <laughs> yes, this is absolutely a thriller in, in terms of genre. Um, but uh, this is absolutely a thriller, and he, he defines the thriller genre. Like, as we get through the next fr- few films, like, you will see the modern thriller genre be created by Alfred Hitchcock in the next, you know, however many reviews that we do specifically rear window and psycho um and rope rope is a great film which is going to be one of our ones coming up but like yeah like this is definitely a a a early form thriller that will later he will perfect and also other directors obviously will later perfect but i also want to talk about get get back to one shot that i really want to talk about because i think it is it is a very famous shot and it's what this film is known for um i don't even know if this would have crossed logan and brendan's mind but the shot of um, once they kind of realize, oh, this guy might be a little shady, and they kind of look up, and you see the chandelier shaking, and it it superimposes then the shot of the lodger walking over top. That was the first time someone had ever done something like that, or at least very, it is widely considered that, where Hitchcock, again with glass, had uh, the Ivor Novello, walk over top of glass and shoot underneath him to get that shot and then splice the two shots together in a and i think it's 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 a beautiful shot and knowing that this was kind of the first of its kind i think it's it, it gives even more significance to this scene that i, I think is yeah it was really nifty yeah no i did really enjoy that shot it was really cool yeah i did too I, I think it is interesting because i was reading something about that shot and it said that it, it was a a quote from Hitchcock saying that he actually didn't really like that shot and thought it was too gimmicky after the fact, which I think is sure. interesting with maybe what Logan is saying with some of the, uh, some of the visuals maybe being too heavy handed that maybe even Hitchcock later in his career was like, okay, maybe, maybe I went a bit too far. <laughs> even if it's a little heavy handed, which uh, again, I, you can argue that I think the significance of it being Hitchcock being inventive with the camera shows at least the promise of his career. Oh, no, yeah. The experimentation that goes on is just, it, it's so much, I, I, that's why I think this movie is so fun for me to watch, because it kept on surprising me. Because my expectations for from a film, from a silent film from 1927, were, uh, you know, for everything, the, for the camera work to be, you know, not, you wouldn't notice uh, anything yeah. stylistically. But I, that's, that's why this, you know, kept me on the edge of my seat. Yeah, and to get back to the plot a little, uh, I do enjoy this building relationship between Daisy and the Lodger. I think it's, you know, it's it's whimsical, it's fun, but it also then gets broken up in really interesting ways where, uh, you know, the the mother will come in or Joe will come in <laughs> and mess things up and Joe's just being a dumb bitch like Joe is. Um, but I, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the this middle shit. section of the film? I'm assuming I know Logan's thoughts, but... You do. You can guess exactly what I'm going to say, so I'm not going to waste the time saying it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I liked the direction in which it was in which it was pointing. Um, I, that's why I didn't really like the twist. But yeah, I thought the lodger was terrifying. I really I thought uh, the acting was really, really impressive. Just there were some there were some uh, really cool close ups. Um, of the the one where they uh, where they kiss or they are almost kiss or whatever, and we have that extreme close up <laughs> on this guy's like eventually just his lips, and that was like I was completely surprised to see that in I don't know it's just not something you would expect to see in a film from this era. Um, yeah, I th- I thought this was very well done. I thought the the suspense was all there, and, and like and like Floyd said, I mean, 
the thriller aspect of this movie is it's just gonna get like better as we continue along Hitchcock's career and it just it's interesting like having seen some of his later films to see him like experimenting in this genre I don't know I thought it was so much fun to watch yeah I don't know I I mean it it kind of dragged for me even like with all the stuff going on because it just felt like old hat by the end I was I was just kind of like, all right, I get it. Like, can we continue with with the story in this section? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was at for it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, it's okay. It's decently developed. Uh, the music again ruined it for me, but I I can't hold that against the film too <laughs> yeah. much. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. Uh, again, like like Matt already said, I I think it I I liked where it was going with with him being the killer and and. I very much like that we could believe that he was the killer and also believe that, uh, you know, like see the reason that uh, Daisy's falling in love with him. And then one of those things is kind of like, uh, no, you didn't see any of that. You didn't see when he threatened her with the poker. Like that just that didn't happen. Doesn't matter. Forget it. You know? Um, Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I want to point out real quick that I I really love about this film is the, the dying of the frames and that some frames like when he sneaks out, which I think is a great sequence. Um, it's just in black and white in the room because there wouldn't be, because our curtains are closed, there wouldn't be any moonlight. The moonlight is the blue tinted, uh, frames. And then when it's either indoors with lights on or outside during the day, uh, which I don't think we actually come to think of it. Do we get any shots outside during the day? We, I don't think we do. Um, it's tinted orange. So I think we I, I might. Know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you do explained we... that. Cause I, I had been thinking about like the blue and the orange and whether it, you know. Yeah, it's, I was I was thinking about kind of the difference and like why it hmm. changed, but that's mm-hmm. a good thing to know. Yeah, no, those are the it, it was it was indicative of what the lighting would have been, or the color of the lighting would have been. So I I don't know. I, that's the thing. Those are the small details that I really like, especially in this film, the way he he dies the the frame so it doesn't look the same over and over and over again. But I don't know if that was a thing that even stood out to you guys in terms of adding to the film. Yeah, I th- I thought that was cool. Um, a cool way to uh, distinguish between times in a period True. where everything everything is black and everything is white. Um, How inventive. Yeah, the inventiveness. Very neat. Yeah, and in this sequence, which I want to talk about, was where we really think that it's, you know, it's obvious it's the lodger, he's, he's the Avenger, is when he sneaks out and then someone gets murdered. I actually think it's a really suspenseful sequence with that woman... Uh, walking with her boyfriend or husband or whatever, and then breaks off with him from away from him, and then gets killed. I think that's a very thrilling sequence. I don't know what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I thought this was uh, a great sequence, and I mean the use of shadows everywhere, nighttime in the city. I thought it was a uh, very scary feeling, um, and I I loved you know because when he leaves, the the mother is in the bed and she hears him walking around. I love this, the, the the suspense that Hitchcock creates from that without ever having the mother get from her bed, I think. I don't think she ever leaves her bed. It's always just like her listening to the footsteps, her listening to him leaving and him coming back. And I thought the way that he was just great, like a lot of attention out of that without you know having a lot of character movement was pretty interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it was a very suspenseful uh, sequence and I think that it was, it was done really well. Okay, and, and after this, we kind of, you know, get the climax of the film where, you know, Daisy is with uh, with the lodger fully now, they're a couple, and Joe's all jealous, and Joe's now the, you know, we didn't really mention he's a police officer on the case, and he's like, ah, 
this must be this must be our killer and we get the uh and he's like the warrant oh. scene and he's like oh after seven murders i'm finally get wait no eight after eight murders i finally figure out the pattern this is the direction he's moving eight yeah. fucking murders this guy is the worst yeah. detective um <laughs> Is there something about is there, is there something in Hitchcock about seven or eight? Is that significant? Am I like? I don't, I don't think, think so. So, so yeah. then he's just a bad detective. He just doesn't figure yeah. it out. Okay. I think he's just stupid. Because if there was like um, some kind of significant thing like that, then I could give it a pass and be like, well, okay, it's it's about the imagery of of seven or eight, and now yeah. <sighs> yeah, but I I love the moment when Joe kind of starts to piece everything together mm-hmm. when he's sitting outside and he sees the uh, the footprint, which I'm guessing is the basis for the warrant. Like, he was like, okay, like, the sure. size of the shoe matches or something? Because it was a little I'm bit foggy. So. A little bit fits. foggy in how they got the warrant. Um, but I, I liked how they had the him taking the paintings off the wall and the bag and everything, uh, like, layered on, or underneath or on top of uh, the, the footprint. That, that, that was it's a cool gorgeous. little technique. Yeah, it was really, well, that was, like, really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I that that's another moment that I want to talk about because it's just such an inventive way to show a character running through their own memory to get to a certain place, and I think it's it's brilliant. Yeah, but it, so then he goes back and he and he gets to war and he goes in, and at this point it's like it's almost certain that he is the killer because. Like, he's pulling out all the stuff from the bag, and it's all incriminating evidence, like, one after the other. And he pulls out the map with the triangles, and it's... And he and he says, like, you know, is this the plan? Like, is this... And he was, like, said, exactly. Like, this is how I wanted to do it. Even though we reveal it's... We find out it's not because of, you know, he's not the killer. But it just... All this super incriminating stuff, and then it just switches at the end. It's just, like, especially this scene. With the heavy hand in this, I can understand it's it. Like, I, just, like, he pulls out, like, ten items out of, out of this bag. <laughs> Yeah, and and here's here's a there's a small couple few things that I want to talk about before we wrap up this episode. One, I want to talk about how this is um, Hitchcock himself called this his first Hitchcock pitch, picture in an interview with Truffaut, Hitch, uh, Francois Truffaut, who's a very famous critic and filmmaker from France. Go look him up; he made a lot of great movies. If you never heard of him before, but he did a whole interview with him, and he talked about this being the first Hitchcock. And I think in a lot of ways, this is the first Hitchcock because he very in- intimately plays with the wrong man type of conceit where someone is has a either mistaken identity, very similar to North by Northwest, um, or is put on by information that he has that the police don't know that he has, that he's trying to do other things. It's like misrepresentative of what someone is, is a very common thread throughout Hitchcock's films. I don't know if we're necessarily going to get any more of those. I don't know what it's coming in Family Plot or 39 Steps um, because I have not seen those films. But this is a very prevalent theme throughout his films. Also, I also want to talk about how we talk about the Hitchcock blonde um, that is first here and also the mix of death and sex. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about, uh, obviously, Brendan and Logan, you guys don't know too much about Hitchcock's things. Uh, Hitchcock's, you know, little things that come out throughout his films, but I don't know if I'm Matt excited to hear more about them. How you I'll, saw I'll them say that. Film. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, blondes were featured in a lot of Hitchcock's films. They were, they were always uh, the object. Kim Novak and Vertigo. 
What's that? No, back in Vertigo. Yeah, I mean, like I was, Vertigo. I just remember that we saw that. Yeah, it was like always the the object uh, of desire for the killer or for the main character, the lover, or something. And I mean, that's explicitly seen here. The killer is only killing the fair-headed girls. Um, um, and it's like a lot has been written and said about that, and how apparently, especially on the set of the birds, apparently. Uh, oh, Hitchcock yeah. was very brutal to the main actress, the the blonde Tippi Hedren. Yeah, ugh. in that film, she got um, poor Tippi Hedren. And it's like interesting. Um, I really encourage everyone to go listen and oh, not listen, but uh, read interviews uh, from Hitchcock because he's very he's very open about his movies and he's very open about um, his personal influence and his background and how that's influenced his movies. He talks about his weight very openly, about his own sexual repression as a child. Like it's really almost strange how open he is about his movies. Um, but yeah, we we totally see the blonde thing here. Um, yeah, definitely. I think something that was interesting about Vertigo was that uh, it was sort of like the Hitchcock blonde, rather than being a plot device, plot device, which I ha- I have kind of heard of in the past, and I sort of know a little bit um, about that, but. In Vertigo, it was used less as a plot device and le- and more as something that was sort of. I mean, it, it was kind of the 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 main guy's obsession, you know. Like mm-hmm. it was not just it was not necessarily Hitchcock's obsession, but it was. I mean, maybe the main character's obsession that was kind of uh, it a manifestation of. Hitchcock's own obsession. I don't know, it, but it kind of took an an interesting role there, uh, rather than just being like something that's put in a in his films. It was something that was more like talked about in his films, if that makes sense. Which is why I think mm-hmm. that is cool. And you know, here we don't get that same depth, but um, yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, and it, it's it's something that like I definitely want. I don't... Brendan and Logan, you have not seen Psycho, right? Correct. Right. Okay. I want you to... While you're watching Psycho, or even afterwards, because you're just going to be so enthralled, you're probably not going to think about it. But try to compare this film to Psycho, because I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see you guys watching this film and then watching Psycho and really trying to see if you can make... If you can really see how Hitchcock started here and then ended at Psycho in terms of all of these storylines kind of coalescing into that film. Hmm, okay, gotcha. Um, yeah. It's definitely a step up, for sure. <laughs> it's a step up, but again, very a very similar film to this film. Yeah, and a, totally. a better, A much better film, because I love that film. But yeah, it's, it's very much that you'll see the parallels. But real quick before we you know get to the very ending i i do like this twist actually i'm going to disagree with you guys i what i what i really like about it is that it it gives a really satisfying explanation i think to the lodger as a character um and i think the flashback scene is actually really effective when the lights go out all of a sudden she's dead again it's it's something that we kind of see as trite today um but it this is the film that really shows it the first time and i thought it was really a really great scene of that flashback and him describing why he is doing what he's doing so i have a question uh, when he's talking about the flashback at this point i was still like okay he's the killer he he killed his sister um he's making up the story to justify what he's doing to this lady he's deranged right because okay in the flashback 
We see the lights go off, and I may be mistaken, but after the lights go off and his sister is on the ground, we, we never see him after the lights turn off. Like, oh, yeah. we see him dancing with the girl, and then the lights go off, and we see, like, a whole bunch of crowded people around the girl, but we never get a shot of his, of his face, like, being sad or anything. So I was like, oh, like, he wasn't there. Like, this is being, like, really ambiguous. So that's why the twist at the end was like, wait, what? Like, it felt like Hitchcock shot that flashback scene intentionally and did not shoot anything with the guy because he wanted to, like, keep it ambiguous but then have to like change things hmm interesting no i don't i don't remember seeing him or not seeing him to be able to distinctly say one way or the other yeah because if you, that if felt... you paid attention to it then yeah i believe you that he's never seen like again. it felt so intentional because like that is such a what like in any movie would be like a necessary shot like if not a reaction shot of you know him in, in pain as his, as his sister dies at least him in the crowd of people but i couldn't spot him at all huh. yeah yeah that's interesting how do you guys feel about this this plot twist in this this flashback scene? I mean, I guess to some extent it could still be read as ambiguous. Maybe he is the killer. Yeah, I don't like, know. Did he I mean, I know away? that they like catch another guy, but you could just read that as like the other guy was you know wrongfully arrested. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I do see what Hitchcock is like trying to say here with with the wrong man aspect of it, um, because um, by the time he is being chased by this mob, I mean everyone, it, it's just total. I mean, everyone is clamoring at him. They're like hurting him. It feels like his arms are going to snap. And then you re- you remember back in the beginning of the movie when the when the kid is selling the newspapers and he's like, oh, like Tuesdays are my lucky day, like you know. To say, like, while these murders are, like, giving me so much more business, you can see everyone kind of, like, profiting off of this. And then at the end, it's just this total, total mob role and this this one, you know, innocent man is lost in it all. But I felt like, I feel like, that I don't know, I feel like that was kind of half-baked. But to cast him as this innocent man who is, you know, uh, all these people are clamoring to kill him and the police and the society are after him. It, it it felt like it was done better in a lot of other movies. And we talked about North by Northwest, The Mistaken Man. I felt like, I mean, you know, this is definitely the first film. It's an evolution. We're going to see him perfect this. But I, I definitely think that's a critique of it. This kind of brings Yeah, no, me... and then... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Logan. Sorry. Oh, no. okay. Um, this sort of brings me to one, to one of my big questions, which I couldn't answer after, after finishing this movie. Like, could not tell you. What is the thesis of this movie? Like, what is it about? What is it trying to say? What's the message? Like... I, I finished it and I was like, okay, well, that just sort of happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it trying to say, really, to you? Uh, Matt, if you have something specific you would like to say, I yeah, can go into I was I So, I think what he was trying to go for, I think originally he was trying to make this a very ambiguous movie. Maybe, you know, he, is, is he the killer? And I think that would have cast the film in a totally different light. But I think because of the revisions that had to be made, uh, you know, he was trying to point this toward... Um, some sort of commentary on uh like mob rule and and uh uh you know Mista- I, I don't know assuming Mist- identity or assuming yeah, something about police someone. and incompetence uh, like something along those lines but this is what i'm saying i think that feels half-baked because it feels like what hitchcock wanted to do was leave it ambiguous because in the very last shot when it's like um Mm, uh, yes, them, this last shot. Them kissing. You have the thing in the background that says tonight, uh, golden curls, and that <laughs> which felt... is associated with the murder. And that is so mysterious. So, like mm-hmm. in in one way, it felt like this was ambiguous, but then the half baked message of the film, like, didn't 
was pointing the other direction like the things felt at odds and and then it's like you know how much blame can we place on hitchcock because it, it seemed like it was executive studio interference that was mostly causing this but it, it yeah it's i don't know yeah i agree it sort of seems half-baked like if the if the message is like you know don't judge a book by his cover basically uh seems to be like kind of what you're saying well like we had every reason to suspect this guy like and again yeah. that that's what i mean like it feels kind of cheap to switch that at the end because they they shove it down your throat so much at the at the beginning that it just seems like this this switch is like it's not like oh look here's what it really was it's like oh i changed my mind this is the ending now it seems more like that yeah a little bit mm-hmm. i think that it was probably one of those situations where it was like pressure from the studio like we were talking about earlier how they they couldn't make him this Ivor uh, Norvello character. Um, He couldn't, like, be a villain, so they were like, oh, but he's just avenging his his sister, or whatever, you know? Something like that. Yeah, no, I I get what you guys are saying with feeling that it's half-baked, because, like, I didn't even think about it that way, Matt, but now, looking at it from that perspective, I can definitely see how Hitchcock still left it even the tiniest bit ambiguous that he wanted that in there, that it could have still been the lie. I guess, here. like, uh, but you no. could theoretically pose that, like, he was lying to her to garner sympathy. I mean, that's, like, a big thing with... I I don't think that this research would have been, like, done on, like, serial killers and, like, psychopaths, uh, per se. No. Um, or sociopaths, depending on the situation. Absolutely but, not. Yeah, not exactly. But, I mean, like, serial killers, um, a lot of the time are, like, very charming and, like, lie uh, to, like, garner sympathy for themselves. Ted Bundy. Yeah, Ted Bundy. Um, but... I, I mean, obviously they hadn't done this research yet, but if you wanted to cast it in that light, I mean, I feel like that's definitely a theory that you could put out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is there is there anything else that you guys want to get into before we go into final thoughts and ratings? Again, there's, I, there's so many things in Hitchcock, future Hitchcock films that I see in this film that I think we could have an interesting conversation going back to this film after we go through the next five movies, but maybe we'll do like, after we do all of the individual movies, we'll do like a Hitchcock recap kind of. Episode. Sure. That could love to do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. Do it as like a little side movie journal type thing. Exactly. Yeah. If you want to see that, discussion. hit us up on our social media and let us know. Yes. At Twisted Mug Media. Which we will plug at the end. Yes. We will. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, final thoughts and ratings. We'll start with you, uh, Brandon. This, this is the end. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, overall, I think that, like, what I really had to keep in mind with this was that it was made in 19, uh, 1927, uh, and that it, like, my expectations for it shouldn't be quite as high uh, as I would judge other movies on. And and I think my rating needs to reflect that accordingly. Um, I think that for the time period, this is really good. I mean, it was definitely, like, as I understand it, one of the first films of its time. And I think, I don't necessarily know if it holds up super well, but I think that it it's, it is still a good film. Uh, and therefore, I, I'm going to give it a B+. Plus. I think it deserves a B plus. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it, it's hard to issue a final rating on this film because, like, I, I, I am a very big fan of Hitchcock and I've seen a lot of his movies. So a lot of the, a lot of my enjoyment from this movie came out of looking at the different uh, plot elements, the different, uh, uh, you know, just the different character tropes that appear later in his films. Um, so it was it was definitely more easy for me to brush over the more negative parts of this movie. And since I have seen more of his films from this era, I, I think I was more like prepared to like, you know, some of the more theatrical elements of, uh, of the movie. I was ready to excuse that. Um, so it's definitely hard to, um, that's, you know, that's definitely influencing my decision. But yeah, like Brendan, I, I do think that you definitely have to contextualize a film and be like, okay, for its time, for the resources that he had at his disposal, um, for the the acting that was, um, you know, expected at this time, which was usually very theatrical, this this would make sense. Um, and I really, I really do enjoy this movie. Although I think the twist at the end really does uh mess up where I thought the film should be going. I think it's still the majority of this film is so well done, and I thought the inventiveness of the cinematography was just so beautiful to look at. Um. Because a lot of films in this time period can just be very grating visually. You're just looking at basically one thing the entire time. But this movie uh, definitely was not that. He was constantly, uh, w- even without you know being able to physically move the camera, he was still doing so many amazing things. Um, and for that reason, I think I'm going to give it. Uh, um, I think I'm going to go with a B plus as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I've said my problems about this movie already uh i really don't enjoy it that much and although i am glad to have had some of the time period things uh contextualized like you know some of the issues that are just these come with the territory of it being an old movie i still don't think that's necessarily like a, a like we're gonna you know judge it on the scale of like all movies in 1927 like i feel like well Partially just because I haven't seen any other movies from 1927. Um, but I still think we, or at least I am going to uh, judge it just as a movie. Um, so, yeah, we talked a lot about, like, the how maybe there were some discrepancies in, um, uh, like, kind of what the, what the studio wanted. I don't know if there was really a studio for Hitchcock, but um, I, I don't know anything about how film work in this time so please uh there was a production company and a distribution company yeah that he would have had to answer to that he did have to answer to okay so yeah so those discrepancies that come from that um i can understand that so hitchcock i don't blame you but if if we're going by the final product i i don't think the movie is that good i think what what it says about uh you know kind of like its thesis its message is is not very clear it seems half-baked like matt keeps saying which i think is a it's a great way to describe this um I I'm I do have a little bit more um, of an appreciation for the innovativeness of the cinematography, and uh, that'll bump it up a little bit. But uh, I think I'll give it a C plus. All right, yeah. Um, Logan, I will say the only film that I would bet that you have seen from 1927 is probably Metropolis. Have you seen that? Did you have to watch that in high I school? Ah, uh, you didn't have to watch that in high school. I had to watch that in high school. Um, but no, yeah, I I really love this film. Because of a lot of what Matt said, you know, see, being a huge Hitchcock fan, um, being able to see, especially now on this on the second viewing, uh, 
a lot of the things come back and or not come back, be started here and then move forward. I thought Ivor Novella was really great in this film. Uh, like I said, Hitchcock really shows the promise of his career in this film with the innovative camera work, which is, you know, what this film is known for beyond just being the first Hitchcock. It's like really known for its innovative cinematography at the time. And I think it's really great. Uh, I love the tinting of the, uh, of the film. I think it was a really great visually film just color wise for a black and white feature. Um, and for me, the ending works, you know, even though there are these things that you could read it a certain way, I think it still works for me. I think the flashback scenes really work for me. And, uh, you know, it's it's nowhere near even my top 10, I would say, Hitchcock films. But it's it's a really solid film still that I think a lot of people should see. And if you watch this film and you, you enjoy it, I do really recommend you start checking out films from the silent era because it's chock full of really good films. Um, and I'll just real quickly plug two, two really great films that I mentioned before that I think you should just go back and watch from this time period, and that would be Wings, which was the first Best Picture winner, and The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a, a fantastic film. Uh, just I think this is an era that people really stay away from because they're like, oh, I just, I'm not going to jive with it. Go back, give it a shot. If you don't like it, you don't like it, that's fine. It's not modern in terms of sensibility. It's, it's nothing like what we're, what we're, what's being released today, but I would just encourage people to go back and just give it a try. Um, so yeah, I really like this film. Uh, it, it, again, it's a very interesting first starting point for Hitchcock, and I'm glad that we started here, even if, Logan, you didn't like the film that much. Um, I'm glad that we started here for you to be able to then see where we're going in the future with not only Hitchcock's career, but just going through the decades of film, seeing film progress over the next uh, five weeks. Yeah, no, I, I will say I'm really excited to see where some of these elements from this movie will uh, go during the rest of Hitchcock's career. And I think that there's some real potential. But yeah, for me, this, this movie just didn't really do it. For sure. And yeah, I just wanted to mention before we get into our normal spiel at the end of an episode. So coming up next week, we had announced this last week, we are going to be reviewing The 39 Steps, which was a suggestion from Matt, because Matt has seen that film and loves that film. I have not seen that. That's a Hitchcock film that I have not seen. So The 39 Steps will be our selection from the 1930s. Uh, from the 1940s, because we have finalized our schedule for this, uh, from the 1940s we have selected Rope, which is a film that I uh, really love, uh, a film that I've actually had to write a couple papers for that class about, so I'll have a lot of a lot of juicy nuggets on how they made that film uh, in that podcast. And then we have another classic from the uh, from 19... 19- juicy nuggets. Juicy nuggets. From the 50s. That's a character. Juicy nuggets will be coming to you soon. Juicy nuggets. Juice chuggins and juicy nuggets. <laughs> Go check out uh, Sniff the Tip. It's out now. Sniff the Tip yes, it out is. now. Uh, from the 50s, we selected the 1954 film film Rear Window, which is a film that I'm sure that everyone's heard of, at least, if not seen. Uh, from the 1960s, we selected the 1960 film Psycho. And then from the 1970s, we selected the very last Hitchcock film from 1976, The Family Plot, uh, made only four years before Hitchcock's death in 1980. So uh, we have a really huge, wide, you know, schism there. We have from a silent era film to a film made just one year before Star Wars. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys that come back next week. Uh, like I said before, I don't know actually if I mentioned this, 39 Steps is both on Criterion and Amazon Prime. So if you're trying to keep up with us and don't know where to find these films, that's where you can find the film for next week. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for this series. This is definitely uh, different from what we usually do, but uh, this is going to be fun. So definitely, definitely stay along and listen. And listen to our other shows. 
Um, what shows you say? Back in style, I say. That's me and Logan's Twin Peaks podcast, where we go through and we review every single episode of Twin Peaks. Basic premise. I haven't seen... This is my first time watching Twin Peaks. This is Logan's, like, second time or something. Logan is the expert. I am not. It's a fun new lesson. New episode out this Friday. Go check it out. Yes, new episode out this Friday. We're in the middle of season two. Yeah, so a lot more content to come. Yep, and we'll never... Uh, yeah, wow, shit. Full of there. <laughs> we will never... We will never spoil anything past the episode that we're on. So uh, if you want to start the show, and I recommend that you do, uh, this is the podcast for you. Hey, and we're in the time to be able to start a new show. You know, we're recording this, as you can tell from when we release this during the 2020 coronavirus quarantine. So if there's, if you're listening to this now, you, you got no excuse. True. This is true. Go we also have yep, it's on Netflix. We also have a couple other shows on the network. Uh, I host a comedy advice show known as Stop Wait What, which we just referenced a few moments ago. Where Juicy Nuggets me, will be appearing at some point. Juicy Nuggets. Uh, we just released episode thirteen. Snip the tip. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> that you, if you haven't been listening to our podcasts, that you have no idea what that's referring to. Um, but you, you should can probably guess. You should go. You should go check it out. Um, other than that, I also do a show called Twisted Mug Mysteries, where we talk about all things spooky and occultist. Uh, your new episode coming shop. out Wednesday? New episode coming out Wednesday, where Logan and I, uh, it'll be episode two. Logan and I talked about the mysterious Sally house and the supposed portal to hell that lives there. Uh, and then another episode, uh, will, of that will be coming out in a few weeks. Um, which uh, was Logan, Nolan, and I, but you'll have to wait a little bit longer for that one. Uh, And then, Ryan, why don't you tell us about our other show? uh, So we have have the Octo Island podcast, which um, watch out for in the next few weeks because we are going to be reviewing the Duel of the Fates script written by Colin Trevorrow and Derek uh, Connolly. Um, I think think those are the writers. Yes, those are. Um, Which was the original episode 9 script, so we're going to review that, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And then coming up after that, um, in a couple weeks, probably by around the end of the month, we are going to be starting our Clone Wars run-through on that show, where um, I will be on every episode because I am the Clone Wars super fan, along with Matt, who will be on the show occasionally, he's another super fan, and Brendan will be another one of the main people on that who has not gone through the show, and same with Logan. So it's going to kind of be like me and Brendan are going to be the solid ones on there, and then logan and matt will kind of be popping on here and there uh because it is an anthology yeah, show so you don't really have to be you know see every single episode to to get each next episode so we're going to be running through the clone wars here starting at the end of the month so get excited for that rad cool um as we mentioned before you can follow us on instagram and twitter uh at twisted mug media and uh if you have any questions or comments or you just want to say hi I recommend that you do. Uh, you can email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Come say hi. We, we would love to say hi to you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, uh, hope you guys check out all the great content on this feed. You know, it's a it's a really sad and trying time right now that we're all trying to get through. Um, but hopefully this uh, steady stream of podcasts from us has entertained you guys, given you some new content every couple days to listen to, to uh, kind of get you through this time. So, uh, yeah, well, we'll be back here on Wednesday and Friday for our other shows on our network. And the Cinema Talk podcast will be back next Monday with the 39 Steps. So we hope you guys join us then. A steady stream. All right. Well, then I am. <laughs> Bye. I'm Ryan. And we'll talk to you next week, guys. See ya. I'm Brendan. And I'm Matthew. Wait, Floyd. Did you ever give an actual rating for this movie? <laughs> <laughs>
I might I don't not think have, you did. I'm gonna give it a B plus. That was my grading. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, he didn't. You know, You're right. you know, here's the thing. Before we sign off, um, <laughs> because I fuck up all the time. Um, I, whenever I go into my final thoughts and ratings, I just always think about my final thoughts and just think that I already said my rating or just that my rate, my rating just completely leaves my brain. I'm just like, okay, like put into words how you feel about this film in a concise way. And then I'm just like, oh yeah, crap. I forgot the rating. I've done that before. I think I did that. In, yeah. I, yes, I have done have. it before <laughs> where we completely just went through where I said my final thoughts, didn't say my rating then we fucked off. Yeah. I mean, that's only half of, you know, you don't have final thoughts and ratings, and you only give half of I that. I know, I'm so. so focused on the thoughts that I don't think about the easy part. Yeah. Uh, just slapping a letter right, grade anyway. on it. So, anyway, we'll talk to you next week. I gave the Lodger a B plus. See you guys. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye. It felt like filler. Logan, anything to add? What? Anything to add? Or are you good? Sorry, I thought you, the FaceTime is being a little skippy right now. Skippy but, John um, Jones? No, yeah, it is being a little skippy. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Uh, <laughs> that's right, motherfucker. <laughs> skippy John Jones, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Put that after the music. I will. <laughs>